The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Proxy Freedom. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Proxy Freedom has no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci of Proxy Freedom. With over 30 years experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. Welcome to another edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that each and every week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, 30-plus-year financial manager, Pat Vitucci. You know, quite often on the program, a big part of what we do is to help listeners understand what kind of a nest egg does one need to have set aside in order to retire? What kind of retirement vision or dream do you have? Is it staying at home watching soap operas all day or would you like to travel the world? And obviously, the amount of money that you'll need to have at your disposal between those two scenarios is very different. In addition to that, questions often come up about when is the best time to apply for Social Security. But Pat, I'd like to add one more element into the mix here that I think Far too often, retirees don't give as much consideration to, and that is, what's the ideal retirement age in relationship to your health? Well, Craig, that's always been the the leading question for folks approaching their 60s. Let's go back in time. In fact, 142 years ago, 1881, I think you were just a kid back then, Craig. You remember the conservative German chancellor, Otto von Bismarck. He was a pretty smart, forward-thinking guy, and he was talking about a national retirement benefit. Brand new. No one ever thought about retirement. What the heck is retirement? I mean, farmers would plow the land, and when they couldn't handle the oxen anymore, they would sit home on their rocking chair on the front porch, and the kids would take over, and dad would last another six months or a year, and that was it. Average life expectancy, 40 years. He set pretty smartly the retirement age at 70. And he said, 70, everybody's going to get a check in the mail. What kind of crazy talk is this? Everybody thought. Well, shortly after that, he revised the retirement benefit to 65 in 1916. So that became the model for many nations. In fact, President Roosevelt copied it. He thought, okay, 65 is pretty good number. But even in America in 1935, when President Roosevelt established that Social Security Act of 1935, less than 60% of Americans lived 65. So President Roosevelt was a pretty smart guy as well. Move the clock forward, average life expectancy today is 76. In Europe, it's even higher. So we've got an issue today, 66 or 67, whatever your full retirement age, Anybody born after 1960, in fact, your full retirement age is now 67. We've just seen recently in France, 
They were rioting in the streets because President Macron was trying to get retirement age moved from 62 to 64. And amazingly, in France, life expectancy is 82. Maybe, guys, we need to start drinking more wine. I, I suspect French people are drink a whole lot more wine than Americans, and maybe we need to uh, change our, our health habits. Of course, it's all driven by working life expectancy vis-a-vis your health expectation. We all know, logically, that if you have a physically demanding job, your life expectancy is just not as high as if you are looking at a computer screen or pushing paper and sitting at a comfortable desk all day long. And so we've got to take that into account. Knowledge-based jobs, a more reasonable retirement age is maybe 70, and maybe if you've got a physically demanding job, maybe it's 60. I doubt if any of that would ever work its way through the legislature. There would be uh, all kinds of discrimination suits about you know, favoring people with more physically demanding jobs than mentally demanding jobs. And, of course, the risk of death is higher, clearly, with a more physically demanding job. Nevertheless, we've got to understand when should you really file for your retirement check. People say, oh, I'm going to get it now while it's still there before it goes away. In my view, guys, this is not going away. The benefit levels will be lower. The retirement eligibility age will be higher. There's no question about that. So I don't think that's a logical conclusion. I'm going to get it now before it goes away. It's really how healthy are you if you take it at 65 versus 70? There is an 11-year crossover break-even number. So at roughly age 81, if you're still alive and kicking, you won the lottery. You beat the numbers. If you don't make it to 81 and you've taken it too early, you've probably sacrificed some income for you and your family. And so it's an interesting dilemma where your health issue and your the physical demands of your job can make a significant difference in the way you file, when you file, And then if you're married, certainly for your surviving spouse, continuing to get that benefit for the rest of their life. It sounds almost, Pat, as if there's multiple considerations here then. It's not just a question of your wealth. It's your health. It's your dreams, your your goals for retirement. And if you're fortunate, all of those may converge in in a very nice fashion that by the time you reach the age that you feel like you're ready to retire, your 401k suggests that you're ready to retire and you can go ahead and pull the trigger because your health is still about you. Certainly, as you suggest, as people are living longer, the notion of being required to retire at 60 because of incapacities or incompetence is less and less of a factor. But I guess the big surprise lurking in the background is if you're 40 or 50, it's difficult to anticipate or predict what your health is going to be like when you get into your 60s, if you have a heart event or get diagnosed with diabetes, something that potentially could change that schedule, that suggests to me that determining this age number is far more complex. And undoubtedly, many of our listeners are saying, wow, I've got to have a crystal ball to figure all of this out. Help us understand the ways in which the Don't Invest and Forget advisory team can help people sort of navigate so many of these complicated questions related to retirement age, health, wealth, goals. You know, it it all boils down to spending time with one of our Don't Invest and Forget members in any one of our offices or a Zoom call or a phone call. 
as you mentioned, it is a collection of so many considerations, health, your family structure, your passions. You love your job. You hate your job. I've had people come in my office and say, I've got seven years, 24 days, and eight hours left before I retire. I said, well, wait a minute. Why are you going to spend the next seven years in something you absolutely hate? Find a different career. Find a different job. Do something different. Don't wish your life away. Now you're 65 and your health is bad or your gratitude, your whole mindset is kind of backwards thinking. So it really takes a comprehensive view of, yeah, you look at the numbers. What's your 401k worth? What's your Social Security? What's your house payment? What's your house worth? You want to move to Florida? Your health, your family legacy of health? Did mom and dad live long? Or what kind of health considerations? We don't give a physical, but we're going to ask you some health questions, high-level health questions to get kind of a generic 30,000-foot view of how you feel about your health. What's your doctor say? And so there's so many considerations to review and conclude with a game plan, a roadmap to where you want to be one, three, five, 10, 20 years from now. And yeah, you make adjustments all along the way because stuff happens along the way, but you've got to create a roadmap that today might make sense. And as you go through the years, you make adaptations, modifications to that roadmap based on what happens. You get laid off, your spouse dies, you get a medical condition, your children out of the house, or they come back and live with you again, those boomerang kids. All those need readdressing your goals and your reasonable expectations to where you want to be when you do finally say, I'm not working anymore. I quit. And do the numbers make sense? Does your lifestyle make sense? The health issues integrate into that. And I see it really requires a quiet one-on-one or one-on-two with a couple. We take copious notes and we come out with a conclusion that I think for 30 years, we've made some pretty good recommendations based on that whole potpourri of data that drives a roadmap and drives financial plans that is executable. To get more information about that complimentary financial health and retirement plan review in any of the offices of the Don't Invest and Forget advisory team or by phone or even over the Internet, simply call toll-free 888-PLANWISE, 888-PLANWISE. Easier still, you can schedule that appointment online. Simply go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call toll-free, 888-PLANWISE. Pat Fittucci says, don't invest and forget, invest and forget, invest and forget. I'm delighted to announce today we've got a very special guest, Mary Buffett. Mary is the former daughter-in-law of the famous Warren Buffett. Mary is an author and calling from her home in Santa Monica, California. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. I'm happy to be here. Mary, I've read uh, several of your books. This is your fourth book, The Tao of Warren Buffett. I read Buffettology and picked up a lot of good tips. Talk to me about your motivation behind writing a fourth great book here. Well, this book is kind of a counterintuitive book. It's, it's a little book of cliff notes for investing in life lessons. And Warren has so many wonderful 
truisms and axioms over the years, if you will, that we decided, why don't we just make a small book with some of his and our favorite uh, platitudes, if you will, and give some context to them and, and explain briefly for the the general public um, life lessons. It's really more of a, a book that anyone can pick up and refer to at any time about investing or just life. You know, the one thing that really intrigues me about the book is, and, and you mentioned you have all these nicely numbered. This is number four. And uh-huh. you say you can't make a good deal with a bad person. And I think I'm going to suggest Warren Buffett might be very good at reading financial statements, but I'm going to suggest he's a lot better at reading people. And it's really the people behind those businesses that make things happen. You know, we have a local story here, Mary. Uh, We have a uh, high school basketball coach named Bob Latticer, and he has the record for most wins, consecutive wins, 177 wins. Wow. He's a religion teacher during the day and a coach after school. And people have always said he's a much better religion teacher than he is a coach. Is that just, is that kind of Warren's issues? He's a, he's a good read on people. He, he has an amazing ability, I think, to, to sum someone up as he does to sum up a business plan, a financial plan as well. You know, I was watching You Can't Take It With You, a Frank Capra movie the other day. Warren certainly isn't going to take his with him. He really is a Frank Capra and Will Rogers kind of combined. He has this conventional wisdom and this kind of American human spirit. And the idea that you can't make a good deal with a bad guy is just so simple. Um, you know, he he told me that and my, my ex-husband that many times when we were going into business is to really not expect someone to turn over a new leaf in business. It generally doesn't happen. What you see is what you get, huh? What you see is what you get. And that's why he um, spends so much time investing in the managing managers of his many companies. He really doesn't manage businesses. He manages people, doesn't he? Well, he really doesn't. He doesn't manage the business. He doesn't manage the people. He buys great businesses. He looks for great businesses with underlying great economics, price at a time when it's to his advantage, and leaves it up to the people who are running the business to run it as well as they have. You know, one thing that Warren has done, kind of contrary to a lot of basic financial tenants, is that he really doesn't diversify. He really puts a lot of his egg in a few baskets. And because of his, his wonderful skill set, he's made a lot of money by concentrating his assets in a few companies. Is that something that the average person on the street should consider? I do. I think it is very important. I mean, if you spread yourself too thin, Warren believes that it's just a way of protecting, you know, your risk. Instead, he prefers to focus on companies that he knows over a long term. He can predict their earnings. He can predict what they're going to do. And a good company's earnings and a good company with intrinsic value is going to the per share price is going to increase over time. It just happens that way. It's never not happened. And there are many examples of companies that have done that. Yeah, I guess your your statement number five here, the Hearst family made their money in publishing, Walton family in retailing, Wrigley in chewing gum, Mars family in candy, Gates family in software, Coors and Bush in brewing. Those are classic uh, examples of where uh, Warren's hit the nail right on the head. I think... I like number 35 a lot. He looks for businesses in which he can predict what they're going to look like in 10 to 15 years. Uh, 
uh, he says, take Wrigley's chewing gum. I don't think the Internet is going to change how people chew gum. And and it's really true. I mean, when the stock market crashed in 1929, the first crash, people didn't stop buying Coca-Cola. They didn't stop chewing gum. They didn't stop shaving. And so those are the kinds of companies that really have that durable, competitive advantage, that brand name with products and services that people are going to use over and over. My special guest today, Mary Buffett, a former daughter-in-law of the famous Warren Buffett, The Tao of Warren Buffett. It's her newest book. She's written four books. Mary, I'd love to hear some of the uh, family discussion. I'd love to be a fly on the wall at Thanksgiving dinner, Christmas dinner. What was it like sitting with Warren Buffett at dinner? You know, it was fascinating. Had I known at the time the pearls of wisdom that would eventually have me write four books, you know, our most special times were over the Christmas and New Year holiday because we all gathered at the family home in Laguna Beach. And very often there was a luncheon where some really phenomenal people, Catherine Graham would come, Ben Bradley, and they would be, we would have lunch and they would be discussing business. Warren always discussed business during dinner or any other time. And it was also a time when he would write his annual report to his investors for the Berkshire Hathaway annual report. So I recall one time um, Catherine Graham, Mrs. Graham, and Warren were talking about Mrs. Fields because Warren owns C's Candy and Mrs. Fields was a real competitor. And, you know, coincidentally, Mrs. Fields' shops were opening up a block away from C's Candy and so on. Mm. And one of my daughters at the time was sitting next to Grandma, and she said to Grandma Susie, she said, Grandma, are Grandpa and Mrs. Graham talking very seriously about cookies and candy? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah. That's great. It was really fun. So it was always about, you know, business. And he's so he's so funny. He's such a funny man. You know, he would say, you know how to become a millionaire, don't you? And say, what? And he says, start out a billionaire and buy an airline. You're listening to Pat Fatucci and Mary Buffett talk about uh, Warren Buffett and the Oracle of Omaha, as he is called. Mary, in your book, your statement number nine was interesting as heck to me. It says something like, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who are taking the subway. Wow, how profound is that? (laughs) Unfortunately, uh, it's true. Uh, Warren, you know, doesn't his his idea of a group decision is to look in the mirror so he doesn't really take advice or think about what wall street predicts or what it doesn't predict because he believes that the analysts are really motivated by commissions and sales so he always warns of people telling you that they're going to make you rich when the more things they sell means the more commissions they'll make. I guess his views are they're always way too rosy, and I guess that's probably historically pretty true. Yeah, I mean, the 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 whole momentum, you know, the guys who are the momentum buyers buying when a stock is, is going up, and then as soon as it starts to go down, they sell. Warren is, that's, that's what makes him a selective contrarian investor is that he buys businesses that have these wonderful underlying long-term economics of a business at a low price when they're generally on the decline from a wall, from Wall Street's perspective. But it really, he knows a good business and, and puts a lot into understanding. He probably knows what he's going to buy 
He just waits for the right price to buy it at. The one thing that's amazing to me is I've been to Omaha a number of times, and it's a great little city. It's right in the middle of the country. And, you know, we read consistently that Warren still lives in that original house, and it's a very modest neighborhood. I can't help but think, has that lack of uh, sensationalism in his lifestyle kept him in tune and allowed his judgment to stay on track and level-headed as opposed to, you know, building that 50,000-square-foot home and then you begin to lose touch with real people? My sense is that's really been his real asset, that he's stayed calm in all this mega money and it has not clouded his judgment on future deals. Pat, you couldn't be more right. I mean, Warren chose to stay in Omaha rather than to live in New York. I think it does allow him. I mean, going to Omaha, you're absolutely right. It's like stepping back in time. It's so, uh, you know, it's the bucolic splendor of the Midwest, really. And, you know, Warren's focus has never been on buying yachts and art and super super rich things. Um, He's more interested in buying wonderful businesses. And I think Omaha and his lifestyle does do exactly as you put it, give him the focus and the energy and time to spend on looking for wonderful, simple businesses that you know, one of his sayings is, I don't try to jump over seven-foot bars. I just look for one-foot bars that I can step over. It really is that kind of approach. And he's a comfort- He's comfortable in his own shoes. Well, that shows. Even when he's interviewed by uh, all the famous people, I just saw him recently, Maria Bartiroma. And he was just very calm and just, uh, you know, uh, he looks like the millionaire next door. He's just a regular guy. He is. He really is. I mean, he's the regular guy, but you can't believe that he's worth $40 billion. Well, your statement number 11, and this is where I think probably we get to the core of why uh, he has been so successful. It takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to lose it. If you think about that, you will do things differently. Boy, how many times have we seen those executives being hauled off to prison because they got greedy? Exactly. This is something I tell my 13-year-old son, and that's one thing I love about a lot of the truisms in the book. It's you can't make a good deal with a bad guy. It's easier to stay out of trouble than it is to get out of trouble. And this one in particular is critically important. And I think Warren, he espouses that to all of the people at all of the companies saying, you know, look, Berkshire could afford to lose money. We can lose lots of money, but we can never afford to lose our reputation because that's really what, you know, it takes years to build and a minute to lose. We come to you each week and talk about issues of the day or authors who have done a great job of giving us some insight. On the phone today with Mary Buffett. Mary is the former daughter-in-law of Warren Buffett. Mary's recent book, The Tao of Warren Buffett, is her fourth book, The Tao of Warren Buffett. We continue to offer a no-obligation financial checkup. They're all nice people. They'll sit down and give you an analysis of what your portfolio looks like. Can we make any improvements in those areas? Call one 888 That's one 888 you know, number 14 in your book, Mary, you talk about the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. He really talks about looking at expenses. And when businesses are kicking off just lots of money, 
they tend to get sloppy and irresponsible. And those are the kind of things that Warren really looks at. What are the, what are the expense ratios of some of these companies? Isn't that really where the money is made? It is. I mean, he looks for companies that don't have to take their profits and plow them back into the company, for instance, as a car company would, to retool and come out with a new model the next year. I mean, it's it's really not rocket science. It's so simple, where something, some companies like Wrigley's, for instance, or Coca-Cola, they get to take those profits and either reinvest them into the company, buy back their shares when they're when they're selling at a lower or or you know an honest price, and they don't have to put it back into you know retooling. So a couple of drops of a different flavor and coming out with a new chewing gum is much less expensive. So keeping those profits in the company is is really important, and that's something that Warren looks at very very much. You know, no debt. What are the underlying economics? Does this does this company have a durable competitive advantage, which is exactly kind of what I just described? It, the advantage is they don't have to reinvest the profits to keep the competitive. My very special guest today, Mary Buffett. Mary is an author. She's a lector. She's written four books. Her most recent one, The Tao of Warren Buffett. Mary, before the break, we were talking about hot stock tips, and you, <laughs> you shared with us, you know, people just almost willy-nilly throw $10,000 at somebody who tells them they have a hot stock tip. What's the odds of those hot stock tips actually being hot? <laughs> pretty cold, actually. Pretty pretty small, aren't yeah, they? Pretty, pretty small. I mean, a number 88 is one of my favorites. The only time to buy these is on a date with no Y in it. And worn here to IPOs. You know, this is where, you know, this this hot market that we saw of the Internet bubble, it was really the short-sightedness of the stock market that mispriced stocks. And um, he figures that you can only look at a company that has a long-term, you can look back and see what, what the company has done. Investment bankers never will serve you a bargain, but the stock market will if you look at it and and really read it as Warren does. I read a a statistic, Mary, recently, something like 100% of those hot stock tips, the IPOs specifically, one year later, they're under the initial public offering price. Is it? Yeah, it's, it's just amazing. You know, Warren will look at, if you can look at you know, the P.E. ratios, the price versus the earnings of a company. You know, if you take a company, one of those big Internet companies that was so hot, and you look at it and you just simply go, okay, here's the num- here's the price of the stock, and then here's the number of outstanding shares. And if you multiply the two together, you get the value of the company. So let's say that company had a value of $44 billion, as many did. But then you looked at the earnings that the company was making. It was making a billion dollars worth of earnings. Who in their right mind would ever buy or pay $44 billion for a company that was earning a billion a year? So that's the kind of common sense investing that that Warren does that that takes a great deal of of really a a great deal of, of searching for the word, but discipline. You know, what I find when I sit with clients and they just had to buy that certain stock because their brother-in-law's sister's 
Barber made the recommendation. So buying it is easy, but the decision to sell is really where people get themselves in trouble. It's true. I, I mean, Warren likens it to, um, you know, getting out of the market is one thing because it's just like a burning theater. You know, to get out of the market, if you're in a burning theater, you have to have someone take your seat, which isn't too easy. You know, one thing I guess when we get to the core of what's in the back of Warren Buffett's mind is he's really a financial analyst, a really good accountant. And we've seen, sadly, Arthur Anderson was one of those magnificent accounting CPA firms. If you got hired by Arthur Anderson, Mary, you were you had a great looking resume. You graduated from a top school. And then they went through that whole Enron debacle and all the other companies. It was just kind of the greed of the decade. The decade of the 90s was you know, defined as the greedy years. And Warren has not had that issue. Uh, clearly, uh, he doesn't need to be greedy, but staying on balance and keeping a rational approach to these businesses he buys. And, and so frequently we find that emotion gets out of check. Yes, I mean, Warren has said to me in the past, you know, purge yourself of emotion and and look hard at before you make any investment decision. And as you mentioned, accounting for him is really the language of business. If you can't keep, read the scorecard, you can't keep score. Um, so you can't tell the winners from the losers is, is really our way of, of putting that. And so... Um, accounting is is extremely important. And what's interesting, he's not been subject to the sales guys and gals giving him all kinds of BS about how wonderful next quarter is going to be. Your statement number 32, you can always juice sales by going down market, but it's hard to go back up market. That's right. Warren doesn't, when you say, you know, people, those hot, juicy numbers, Warren knows ahead of time what he's going to expect from companies, from fabulous companies uh, that own a piece of your mind, you know, Kleenex. You know, we all refer to buying Kleenex, and it, it we may not be buying that brand at all, but it's just such a part of our mind, or Disney, or Coke, or, you know, these are not hot products. They are manufacturers that can continually produce what their earnings and what their products are going to be years out. And that's really what Warren's looking for. Number 36 is always uh, a favorite of mine. Someone is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. Talk to us about that quote. You know, his his mentor, Benjamin Graham, Mm -hmm. um, who really was the person who developed the concept of value investing, It's easy to become brilliant when you can stand on the shoulders of a giant. And I believe that he refers to someone planting seeds like Benjamin Graham, Philip Fisher, who he learned from, and combined both of their kind of investment ideas into one. And I think it also relates to a matter of being able to wait 30 years for an investment to mature and and really show the value of your investment.
Mary, we have just a couple minutes left. I want to end by asking you this uh, very uh, tough question. You can avoid answer, answering it, but Marn kind of shocked the world by announcing his giving away of all of his money to, or most of it anyway, yeah. $43 billion or some huge number with lots of zeros after it to the Gates Foundation. Clearly, Bill and Warren have become very good friends, lots of mutual respect. Talk to us about the dynamics of that decision. Susie Buffett, Warren's wife who passed away uh, two years ago, when she was interviewed, I believe, on Charlie Rose, she had always said that, you know, she would like the money to be given away through the Buffett Foundation in their lifetime. At that time, Warren had always wanted to, as my understanding, was be known as, upon his death, leaving the largest amount of money philanthropically to the Buffett Foundation. I think within these last few years, he's changed his mind a bit rather because of the relationship with Bill and his great respect for them and how they have given so generously and the level of trust that he has. But I think he's enjoying the fact that he is going to be seeing his great wealth go to social good um, during his lifetime. Well, clearly, this is a giant of a man that has really set the example for not only all of us little folks down here, but certainly his peers who have a not comparable, but almost comparable net worth that could do so much good for the world. That, and as he put it, he, he's been so blessed, and now he wants to give his blessings back. My very special guest today, Mary Buffett. Mary's written four books, very successful author. Mary's book, The Tao of Warren Buffett. Call 1-888-PLAN-WISE. That's 1-888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Mary, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you so much, Pat, and thanks for the very intelligent question. God bless. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of the Bay Area's offices of Proxy Freedom near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of the Bay Area offices of Proxy Freedom near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Proxy Freedom. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Proxy Freedom is no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Proxy Freedom, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated.